Merry Christmas, Valley family. Man, we are so excited. It is that time of the year. We've been waiting for Christmas. I, I hope you've been waiting for Christmas as well. It is here. That also means 2020 is almost in the rear view. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Huh? How about that? We're excited uh, kicking off this brand new series uh, today uh, that, we're, that we're calling Advent, just, just getting ready for and preparing for uh, the celebration of the birth of, of Jesus Christ. And uh, actually, a couple weeks back or earlier, I I picked up a book that has just been great inspiration to me, a devotional uh, called Waiting Here for You by Lou Giglio. And, and it's been so inspirational. I just thought I want to do a whole series with this whole idea of Advent, anticipation, waiting for the coming of Jesus. Highly recommend the book. Again, it's a devotional like you read every day, but you can catch up for sure. And in fact, our Christmas services we're actually calling Waiting Here for You, just uh, based on the book. Uh, uh, as I said, just really a lot of inspiration uh, and insight a- as well. And so today I want to talk about uh, the fact that waiting is never wasted. Waiting is never wasted, and then you can go ahead and open up our Valley Christian Church website. You'll see my notes on there, and uh, you can follow along, add to it, and then email it to yourself and, and save some uh, Save it forever, really, or save it for some time when you want to look back on it. But I love Christmas. I I, I really do, and I think the United States kind of loves Christmas. Did a little research. Last year, the United States alone, the United States of America, spent $1 trillion on Christmas. $1 trillion. That's 12 zeros after the one. Just, Just try to wrap your head around that. 12 zeros after the one. And, and specifically spent billions and billions of dollars Americans did on Christmas trees. Now, so here's the question I have for you. Those joining us on our online campus, right now in the chat, just go ahead and let us know, real or artificial? Which one is it in your home, real or artificial? If you have multiple, if there is an artificial anywhere, you're an artificial family. Okay, so, so real or artificial? I got to say this, we, we are, Williamson's are artificials now, and I never was more happy with our Christmas tree than I am right now. We, we actually have two, one upstairs, one downstairs, and uh, the reason was last year, cut our own like we did for years and years and years, and then the night after we put it up, decorated it and all, it came crashing down and smashed a lot of real memorable keepsake ornaments. And I was like, that's it. Never again. We're going pre-lit, artificial, and boy, they're just standing and looking so beautiful. But maybe you're still doing the real thing, and so you probably contributed uh, getting a real one every year to that billions of dollars uh, in, in Christmas trees that were purchased. But go ahead, let us know in the chat there, real or artificial. You know, 2020 has been a tough year, and, and I think that uh, we, all the years that I've been alive, I don't know that we've ever needed the weight and the wonder of Christmas as much as we need it in 2020. And so I want to start off this series, as I said, we're going to lead right up to Christmas and then our Christmas services on December the 23rd and the 24th. You can already reserve seats for those. We have five services, all of them identical, children's ministry in each of them. And, and those services we're calling Waiting Here for You. Uh, and we're going to be waiting for you to come uh, to one of those five services with all the, you know, COVID protocols and safety measures uh, that, that we're going to be taking. But I want to start off this series by looking at a story kind of before the Christmas story in a way, kind of gets it started. 
and, and you'll see it there in, in my notes on our website in Luke chapter 1. And I just want to read it, and then I want to take time to kind of like apply it to our lives as we think about the idea that waiting is never wasted. So Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, it says, In the time of Herod, of Herod king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Now just keep that in mind. We'll circle back around to that. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. And once when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as priest before God. He was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And when the time of the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. And then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and he was gripped with fear. And the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. This ends up being John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus. And you will call him John, and he will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he was born. Man, I could just preach on that statement right there uh, about God's plan and purpose for every child in the womb. Powerful, powerful truth here, right here in Luke chapter 1. And he will bring back many of the people, uh, uh, many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah. This is an Old Testament prophet that is being referred to, one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. It says, John the Baptist, he was called later on, John is going to have that spirit of Elijah on him to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous and to make ready people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. Now, here's a pro tip for those of you who are married especially that aren't as young as you used to be. Notice the wisdom of Zechariah. He talks to the angels and he says, listen, I'm an old man and my wife is, well, she's along in years. He didn't say my wife is old as well. He said, I'm an old fogey, but my wife, she, she's along in years. Pro tip, want to stay happily married? Talk like this. You're an old geezer, fella, but your wife, well, she's just kind of uh, along in, in years. And, and so Zechariah and Elizabeth are waiting on God. And the reality is the Christmas story is saturated, saturated with this whole idea of waiting on God. And that's why I wanted to kick off this Advent series talking about the fact that waiting is never wasted. And this is a really, really powerful perspective that I think you and I need, especially this Christmas of 2020, is to understand what actually is happening in the waiting. Because 
We're going to have to wait. We have to wait. Maybe you're waiting right now on God to answer a prayer. Maybe, maybe you're waiting on something uh, that, that's completely out of your control, completely out of your hands. And, and what happens when we wait is a real important perspective, as I said, and, and it's so valuable and so powerful in this Christmas story. Let me give you a little bit of background of what's really happening here uh, before Luke chapter 1 opens up. The Old Testament of the Bible concludes, and it says, there's going to be a prophet who's going to come, and he's going to turn the hearts of the father to the children, and the hearts of the children back to their fathers. And then it concludes, and it stops. And if you have your Bible in front of you right now, all we do is at the end of the Old Testament, we just turn the page, and boom, the New Testament starts. But the reality is, that for, there were 400 years of silence. For 400 years, we have no record between the Old Testament and the New Testament, four centuries when it seemed like God was silent. Nothing was happening. And, and, and for 400 years, this prophecy and so many in the Old Testament about the coming of the Messiah just hung in the air. Just imagine that waiting, 400 years. When I was in Bible college, I, I, I took a class. It was, it was a required class for my degree program called Intertestamental History. And, and it was just a, a historical account of what happened between the Old Testament and the New Testament. You know, I, I thought it was going to be real interesting. Uh, I was bored to tears. Uh, and, and my professor did all that he could, but it was an 8 a.m. class. College, 8 a.m., and studying intertestamental history. What happened during this 400-year period when really there's no biblical reference at all of God doing anything for 400 years? The people were waiting on the Messiah for this prophet to come who will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to their fathers, referring to John, really. And for 400 years, there was silence. You know, it's one thing to wait a year till Christmas. It's one thing to wait a decade. It's another thing to wait four centuries. Four centuries of absolute silence. And you know what begins to happen? Hope begins to wane in the waiting. Begin to lose hope in the waiting. What is God doing? Where is God? Where Where's the line that we crossed over where God just forgot about us? What did we do so that it just seems like he doesn't care anymore? Because God's silence. The, the, the precursor to Jesus Christ, God himself in the flesh, coming to earth was 400 years of seemingly nothingness. See, we don't really like to wait, do we? Waiting is, is an acquired skill, and many of us really, really struggle with it. I mean, let's be honest. You know, I've got my cell phone here. You know what I hate? One of the things I hate about is when you're texting someone, and, and it just has those three dots in the text field, and you know there, and you're waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting. You know, maybe you, maybe you send a joke, and it's just like, did they think that was funny? Do they think I'm an idiot? You, you know, it's just those three dots, and you're just waiting. Or, or, or maybe it's something really, really important, and you're just like, 
where are the three dots? Where are the three dots? And then the three dots appear, and it seems like four and a half hours go by with just those three dots, and you're just waiting and waiting. I, I, I'm not a real good waiter, and chances are you're, you're probably not either. We don't like to wait. What was happening for 400 years? We, we, we don't have a record in the Bible of what was happening. You know, the reality is something, a couple things really, really important were happening. And, and let me just share those with you, just give a little perspective. Because God is always working, even when we're waiting. But it seems like nothing's going on. One of the significant things, one of the, history says, one of the most significant human beings on the planet came to power in those 400 years. You've probably heard his name before, Alexander the Great. And Alexander the Great almost conquered all the known world in his lifetime. And then he had this crazy idea, and it was a very short lifetime. He only lived, I think, to the age of 35. He's still considered the greatest military tactician and strategist ever on the planet. That, that's, that's Alexander the Great. I, I mean, wouldn't you feel pretty good if, if uh, your middle name was The and your last name was Great? <laughs> you know, I'm, Alex, I'm Gregory the Great. Alexander the Great. And after he had conquered almost all the known world for the Greek empire, for Greece, he had this idea. He said, you know, when I make a statement or a decree, I want everyone in my empire, every subject that I rule over, to understand what I say in the language I speak it so there's no misinterpretation. And so Alexander required everyone in the empire to learn a common language, even though they had all kinds of diverse languages. And that was known as Koine Greek. Koine Greek. And that's the Greek of the New Testament. And so think about this for just a minute. Alexander the Great conquers pretty much the known world. And then he says everyone has to learn this language. So when he makes a statement, everyone will hear it in the language he spoke it and understand it. And it's at that time, after that happens, that Jesus comes. And the New Testament is written in a language that almost everyone in the known world at that time would understand. Koine Greek. That's just one thing that happened during this 400 years where it seemed like God wasn't doing anything. The second thing that happened was the Roman Empire conquered the Greeks. And when the Romans conquered the Greeks, and pretty much, again, pretty much the known world at the time. They were barbarians and, you know, uh, Germanic tribes and, and some things like that in northern parts. But, but when Rome conquered pretty much the known world at that time as well, they had an idea, and it was called the Pax Romana, and that was the idea of bringing peace, military basically occupying uh, from conquerors, bringing peace. And they developed a system of roadways all throughout the Roman Empire so that People could travel, and there was, for the most part, military, occupation, and peace, an extensive road system. So the Apostle Paul, for instance, when the Holy Spirit speaks to him, and he begins to write Scripture, what we have now today, the thoughts of God, inspired by God himself, they're speaking Koine Greek, a common language, and they're able to send messengers along the roadways and the road system that the Romans created. See, even though the world was waiting, God was working. 
even over these 400 years that seems like was actual silence. And then I love this, how the Bible actually puts it. It's just so powerful thing. Even while the world was waiting, God was still working. And even while you're waiting, God may actually be doing some bigger things than, than you could possibly even comprehend right now, besides your personal prayer request. Maybe he's doing something so much bigger than what you're asking for. He's working, even while we're waiting. And then the scripture says this, and I love it, Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. When the fullness of time had come, when, when, when the known world spoke one common language again, Koine Greek, when the known world, there was a system of roadways and travel that was safe. And so the scripture itself could spread rapidly through the known world. God turned to his son Jesus and said, now's the time to go. Now's the time to go. We flipped the page after 400 years and it looks like God was doing nothing. But, but the first person, think about this, that God speaks to after 400 years of silence is this man named Zechariah. And I think that's so significant. Zechariah's name actually means God remembers. The first person after 400 years where God said nothing, he speaks to this man named Zechariah whose name literally means God remembers. I haven't forgotten. I've been working even while the world's been waiting and it seemed like I wasn't doing anything. And not only does Zechariah's name mean God remembers, but Elizabeth's name means God's covenant or God's promise. What a, what a couple. You put, the, you put their names together, Zechariah and Elizabeth, and it literally means God keeps his promise. God keeps his promise. That's what their names, Zechariah and Elizabeth, put together. God keeps his promise. And that's what Advent is really all about. The story of Christmas and why we celebrate is this. God kept his promise. And you know what? He still does today. Even if it looks like nothing's happening, God, even while we're waiting, God keeps his promise. God remembers. And God will keep his promise. And he did 2,000 years ago, and he will for you as well. So what do we do when, what do you do when you feel like his voice is silent? Well, what kind of posture, what kind of position, what, what, what kind of uh, perspective do we need to hold on to when it feels like God's voice is silent? See, his ability to work doesn't really hinge upon my ability to perceive him working. Let me just say that again. God's ability to work doesn't really hinge on my ability to perceive or to see what he's doing. He's not waiting for, okay, I'm going to wait for Greg to figure out that I'm doing this before I go any further. He's working, whether I recognize it or not. He's almighty God, and he paints on a much, much bigger canvas than you and I can ever imagine. The people 2,000 years ago were waiting for the Messiah to arrive. And, and today, we're waiting for the Messiah to return, because Jesus promised he would. And you know what? 
He's still working even while we're waiting. Waiting is never wasted. He's still working. And so I love this story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And so here's the first point I think is so important that we understand. God works while we wait. He's working even while we wait. In fact, there's so much in the Bible that talks about the importance of waiting, being patient, having the right perspective, persevering, and continuing to be faithful to God. Uh, Look at this, Isaiah the prophet, 500 years before the coming of Jesus. Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah 64, one through four, it says, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you, as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down and make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. Isaiah's crying out 500 years before the coming of Jesus, like, God, come in the flesh. Come in the flesh. And goes on and says, For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you, watch, who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. If you and I will wait and recognize our waiting is not wasted, God will work for us. He's working, even though we can't even perceive what it is that he's doing. God works while we wait. In in other words, it's like God makes a promise for us. If you'll wait on me, I'll work for you. If you'll wait on me, if you'll just be patient, if you'll just cling to my promise, if you'll just trust that what I said I'm going to do, I'm working. I'm working. You may not see it now, but if you'll wait on me, I'm orchestrating everything for my glory and for your good. That's what God says. If you'll just wait on me, I'm orchestrating everything for my glory, God says, for his glory and for our good. You know, I love that song that we sing here. It's kind of been an anthem, I I think, for me personally, and maybe for you as well, Valley Family, in 2020, uh, that song, Waymaker. And I love that those lines in it, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I'm waiting, you're still working. In fact, in Lamentations 3.25 puts it this way, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the souls that seek him. He's good. Are you waiting on God? Or are you getting impatient? The Lord is good to those who wait on him. See, we serve a God who is totally other than us. He's bigger than your version of him. He's bigger than just a big version of Greg. That's that's not who God is. He's not a better version of you. Uh, He's not a purer version of you. He's a higher version of you. And and his thoughts are so much greater than your thoughts. They're so much greater than my thoughts. Even while we wait, he's working. Here's the second thing I think is really important that we understand Who we become while we wait is as important as what we're waiting for. 
what God's doing inside of us, the waiting itself is molding and shaping his character inside of me and inside of you. Who we become while we wait is just as important as what it is that we're waiting for. Think about it for a minute. Zachariah and Elizabeth, they were old and, and over their lives while they were waiting, while God was not speaking. They'd lived a long, long time and didn't see God doing anything, but they kept being faithful and they kept waiting on God. Look, look at it again, Luke chapter 1, verse 6. Look at what it says. And I had the tech guys, they just highlighted the whole doggone thing because this is amazing. Think about it. not one prayer answered, not one perspective. God's been silent for four centuries, but look at the character of Zechariah and Elizabeth while they've been waiting. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. You talk about a power couple. They were like an ultimate power couple. Because look at it, it wasn't just that Elizabeth was real spiritual. No, Zechariah was just as spiritual, just as devout as Elizabeth was. It wasn't that she dragged him to the temple. He was just as committed to, to glorifying God, and he was blameless, he was righteous. This was a powerful couple that was spiritually yoked together, that they were mutually just as committed to God. And God hadn't answered one prayer ever in their life, or in anyone's, for 400 years that we know of. Man, this is a this is huge statement. They were righteous in the sight of God, and he'd been silent for centuries, observing the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. When it looked like it made no sense to stick with God, Zechariah and Elizabeth decided we're going to remain faithful. You could become someone while you wait. That's the message here. That, that who we're becoming is just as important as what God is doing. God might be preparing you for what's to come. It seems like you're waiting, but in actuality, it's preparation time for what's about to happen. And the enemy, our enemy always wants to sabotage that empty silence so that we don't maximize the time of preparation while we wait. And here's the thing, so important, this truth. Our job is to fill the silent days with things that reinforce our trust in God and that remind us of the promises of God. That's our responsibility, to fill that silence with reminders, I'm going to trust God. This is why I'm going to trust God, because I can trust his promises. To reinforce our trust in God, no matter what. When everything, it would have been easy for Zachariah and Elizabeth, like, oh, just stop this worshiping God stuff. But no, they remained faithful, and they were blameless, and committed to the decrees of God. And he'd been silent their entire lifetime, and for four centuries before. 
So real quickly, as we're talking here about who you become while we wait is just as important as what you're waiting for. What do we do while we wait? I want to give you just, just four suggestions here. First of all, keep praying. Keep praying. We, we talked about this last week, didn't we? Uh, and, and, and the whole idea of, you know, prayer should be our first response, not our last ditch effort, really. And, and, and again, look at Luke chapter 1. Let's circle back around. Luke chapter 1, verse 13. But the angel said, do not be afraid, Zachariah. Now, this is crazy. Your prayers have been heard. Your prayers have been heard. For 400 years, no one felt like their prayers had been heard. No one that we have a record of. And then the angel appears to Zechariah and says, God's been listening all along. He was an old man. I don't know how. Well up in years. And yet he still prayed. He still asked God when he had no personal experience that God had ever once heard him or answered a prayer. But he was not discouraged. It's a powerful story. Powerful story. Waiting is never wasted. So keep on praying. Here's the second thing. Worship your way through the waiting. Worship your way. There's nothing like worship, and that's why, you know, it's so important, and I'm thankful for the online campus, but worship's just weird on an online campus, man. It's weird, you know, just like in your living room, but there is something about when we come together for the express purpose of worshiping Jesus, and you hear, you're singing, and you hear other people just singing, praise the God. Man, worship your way through the way. It just, it just breathes new life into our spirits. It just lifts our hearts and our spirits. Worship your way through the waiting. Here's a third suggestion. Just cling to the word. Cling to God's word. There's so much that talks about the value of God's word in our life. In Psalm 130, uh, verse 1 through 5, look at what it says. Oh, the depths, I, uh, out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand before you? It's crying out the psalmist to God. But look, it goes on and says, but with you there is forgiveness so that we can with reverence serve you. I will wait for the Lord. I will wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. My whole being waits for the Lord. And in his word, I put my hope. Is that your perspective while you wait? I, I know that's supposed to be my perspective. That should be each of our perspective. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, in his word, I put my hope. Here's the fourth suggestion about becoming what God's doing inside just as important as as him answering the prayer. Anchor yourself in a community that'll reinforce your trust in God Almighty. Surround yourself with people uh, that, that can call the enemy out when, when, when the devil's trying to lie to us. 
Uh, or maybe when you're not sure even if he's lying or not. Get people around you, get people in your crew that will help you fill the silence for when you feel like maybe you're tired of trusting, maybe, maybe you're tired of waiting on God, and, 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 and you just don't want to keep on fighting, you just don't want to keep on believing, and, and you've surrounded yourself with a circle of godly friends who are going to be like, no, 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 we're not going to let you throw in a towel, we're not going to let you quit, we're going to encourage you, we're going to lift you up so you keep waiting because while you're waiting God's still working and your friends can remind you of the promises of God I'm so thankful for friends when I'm discouraged when I'm down yeah even your pastor I'm, I'm ready to throw in the towel I'm just ready to just flat out quit that I have people in my life that say we're not gonna let that happen you remember what God promised remember the dreams you put in your heart Greg remember you haven't seen it yet we're not gonna let you get discouraged just encourage and lift me up it's so important that, that we surround ourselves, anchor yourself in a community that will reinforce your trust in Almighty God. That's what a church family is all about. That, that's why we have small groups here at Valley, Valley Groups. In fact, you want to be on a lookout in January. We'll be launching all new groups, a whole bunch of new groups. You can sign up in the month of January, and they're going to kick off at the 1st of February. So you just want to Keep that on the radar, and, and when you hear more about that, just check out all of our groups. I mean, we have hundreds and hundreds of people that, that, that have continued in groups, even during COVID, online, and, and then when we're allowed to meet in homes, you know, uh, doing that, and, and it just lifts your spirit so much up, so, so greatly. Anchor yourself in a community that will reinforce your trust in Almighty God because the enemy picks off those that are isolated and alone. You don't have to be alone. And you shouldn't be isolated. That, that's what groups are all about. That's why we're not a church that has groups. We're a church of groups. It's, it's not like this side little thing. It is, it's like the most important thing, our valley groups. So keep that, you know, look out for that in January as we launch those sign up. And here's, here's the third truth I think is so important here in, in this story of Zechariah and Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist, the prophet who came as a forerunner, the cousin of Jesus himself. While we wait on God, we wait with God. See, the reality is you and I are never alone. While we wait on God, we also wait with God. That's what the name that was prophesied, one of the titles of the Messiah actually means Emmanuel, God with us. While we wait on God, we wait with God. So interesting to me, we look at Luke chapter 1, but, but in Matthew chapter 1, verse 22 and 23, it says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. They'll, they'll, they'll say about him, God is with us. That's what Emmanuel means. God is with us. One of the most powerful, powerful truths of Christmas is that God is with us. And we're never alone. You know, John Wesley, who was really the one who started the whole uh, Methodist church and the Wesleyan denomination and, and the Methodist denomination as well. Great, great man of God. History tells us that 
on his deathbed, the last words he spoke before he died was this. Best of all, God is with us. And then he passed into eternity. Best of all, God is with us. The power that God is with us is enough to anchor you no matter how long your season of waiting is. You never wait alone. God is with Emmanuel. God is with right at the beginning of Matthew. When the enemy says God isn't working, when the enemy says God isn't real, when the enemy says you're all alone, we need to remind ourselves it's, it's really like bookends to the gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 1, Emmanuel, God is with us. Then in Matthew chapter 28, look what Jesus says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Matthew starts out, God is with us. Matthew ends, Jesus says, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. When we wait, we never wait alone. We wait with God. Powerful, powerful truth. Waiting is never wasted. Waiting is never wasted. Man, I, I hope this message today has just brought you a new perspective, new, new, new uh, truth, maybe even inspiration to, to help us just to wait a little longer, wait some more, because God is working while you and I wait, no matter what it's waiting for, waiting is never wasted. I'm going to ask right now, would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the eternal perspective that you are working, Lord, even while we wait. Even when we don't see it, just as you were 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament, you were working. Even when we can't perceive it. And Father, we embrace this perspective in this Christmas season that we're in that you're working, our waiting is never wasted, and we never wait alone, but we wait with you. Thank you for sending your son, our Savior, Emmanuel, God with us, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, to live a sinless life, to lay that life down as a substitute, a sacrifice for each and every one of us on the cross and to rise from the dead, paying in full the price for our personal sins when we receive his sacrifice. God will continue to wait, knowing that you work. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.